and welcome back to the Drawcast. It has been four weeks since we have recorded an episode. We did not disappear. We just had some other stuff going on, but we are back in studio. We have our super producer on the ones and twos. Danny is over here, and he's ready to cut out any of the coughing that I do. If you hear any coughs, it's Danny's fault. Okay, but on the show today, we've got our regular co-host, Adam Hill is in the house. Adam, how has your last month been going for you? Last month has been great. Good. Uh, There's a lot going on, and it's kind of been stressful, but it's been really good. I don't know if there's good stress and bad stress. Stress is stress, but this feels like if I was going to label the two, this is more good stress than bad stress. This part of it, yes. This part of it. There's been a lot going on, but the uh, the part that we're going to talk about today has been a super positive experience. That's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to set the stage, and then I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. Sure. Here's what's been going on. Uh, our co-host has been co-hosting for the last year and a half, and in that year and a half, uh, Adam, along with his uh, his uh, partner in crime when it comes to uh, board games, have been working to create uh, board games, and there was one that was picked up by a publisher. You can stop me if I misspeak at any no, point. No, I like I like where you're going with the story. Okay. So he and his partner in crime, they get picked up by Pandasaurus Games. Is that the name of the company? Pandasaurus Games. They're okay. out of Austin, Texas. Out of Austin, Texas. Uh, they are a mid-level hobby publisher. Okay. So, so Pandasaurus picks up Adam and his co-creator. And these guys, if you don't know anything about board games, it's just any creative process. There's a lot of like first draft, try it out, second draft, try it out. So over the last year, we've known in studio that Adam and his co-creator, whose name is Clayton Hargrave. Clayton Hargrave. So Adam and Clayton have been working on this project. And every time Adam comes in for a show, I say, dude, can we talk about the game yet? <laughs> and he's like, nope, non-disclosure agreement. It's not until it's ready. We can't talk about it. And that had happened 15 times? At least. At least. And every time I'm like, ah, and so we've been keeping this under our hats for a while, but it's out in the open now. That's right. It's, it's a, a real thing. It's on the internet. You can't take it back. Right. And so this game is out, and this game is called... Godspeed. Godspeed. It is up on Kickstarter right now, and the Kickstarter campaign goes through... I think it goes for four more days. Four more days. Uh, from today. So um, if today's the 14th, the 18th. The 18th. Uh, 18th or 19th will be the last day. Okay. So you could go on Kickstarter. You can uh, search for Godspeed board game. Uh, if you follow us on our social media, we're going to post this everywhere so you can get a link to it. You'll be able to see a trailer about the board game. You'll get to see all the graphics to it. You'll get to see the people from Pandasaurus uh, hawking this game like they're like they're selling something that their life depends on. Uh, and it looks like, as someone who's not a board game enthusiast, something that I would love to try out. So as someone who doesn't know much about games, I'm going to be the dumb guy that asks a lot of dumb questions. And Adam, Adam's been talking to real board game people for the last three weeks, uh, talking about Godspeed. Today, he gets someone who doesn't know what the heck he's talking about, and he's going to try to explain to me, a small-minded person, what Godspeed is like. So tell me about, I'm going to take you back before what it is now. What was the um, initial idea like when you started to put a, a game together that eventually became godspeed what was your guiding thought idea what 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 guided your creative process all right so when clayton and i first started we decided we wanted to make a game we've been playing games together for a couple of years we decided we want to try making a game 
And so we had these ideas and we decided we're going to make a game that it's sort of like it's a a civilization builder. Like, I don't know if you've ever played like Sid Meier's Civilization on the computer or anything like that. Or you have to be a little bit of a nerd. SimCity is not really a civ builder, but it's like a city builder. Okay. Um, Okay. No, but you advance up a tech track. You do interesting things with your civilization. Like if I unlock archery, then all of a sudden I'm better at combat than you are. You know, and then so civ builders sort of do that. Or if I've discovered right which means we're smarter you know (laughs) so they do that sort of thing we wanted a game that sort of did that but we really loved the idea of games that number one uh used worker placement now this is a board game term and i see your eyes Uh uh Um, worker placement means that to choose your actions you're going to take a worker from your supply of workers and put it on the board in a certain place and say i'm taking that action and then no one else can take it i'm going to use a dumb dumb guy reference is this like a risk thing? Like you've got your your guy and you put it in a spot and this is where he's going to fight? That's a good reference and and I see where you're going with that. Okay. Normally we call a game like Risk, us, us board game designers and insiders, we call a game like Risk. This sounds so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like This sounds so pretentious, us, us board game people. I love it. But what that's called is uh, dudes on a map. Okay. Is the affectionate term that we've given to games like Risk because okay. you put dudes on a map. This is not so much a map as it is uh, there are certain things you can do in the game. You can take certain actions. Right. And so if I place my person here, I gather this many resources. If I place my person on this other spot, then I get to draw this card. If I place my game on this other spot, then that means I can uh, buy this thing. Okay. With some of my resources. If I place my person on this other spot, I can, I can do this other thing. So that's what's going on with um, worker placement is there's actions on the board in spaces. Okay. So rather than a map that you're walking across, the board is just a series of actions that you can take, just a collection of actions. Okay. And then I take my worker and set it in one of those spaces. So I'm going to take the spot that lets me draw two cards. All right. And now you can't take it. For the rest of this round. I can't take that spot or I can't because take I've blocked cards. It. I've blocked the spot. So you can't play your worker there. So that's worker placement. I play and it blocks you. You play and you block me. So if you take the resource space, now I can't go get resources until next round because your guy is blocking me. Okay. Okay. That's worker placement. We really like that. The other thing we really liked was to have an auction in the game. Auctions are super fun. Yeah. They get players to interact together. Okay. Um, there's a risk to it. And we decided to do something called a blind bid auction. Now, what that means is that everyone's bid is going to be accepted, but you only get to make one. So you can't counter offer. Oh. So if I choose to bid nine and you choose to bid eight privately, this is blindly done. Yeah. We don't get to see what each other's bidding. And then we reveal I bid nine, you bid eight. Both bids are accepted. So you have to give up the money. But I get to choose first what I get because I bid more than you. So it's like reading the other player as much as it is reading your priorities. Yes. There's a little bit of a social interaction. There's, there's a little bit of table, table magic that happens there where oh. you're like, I think I know what Danny wants to bid because he could really use this, this thing that's in the auction more than any of us. So he's going to go real high. So what am I going to need to bid in order to not beat Danny because Danny's going to overbid because he really needs that thing. But how do I beat Greg? Because Greg... D- doesn't know how to play this game <laughs> something like that yeah and so, for sure and so you're kind of trying to figure that out. well you do the blind bid and and so we knew we wanted a blind bid auction and we knew we wanted worker placement okay and then from there we were like well, how can we bring these together how can we make this magic happen with this civ building kind of thing well our decision uh clayton and i decided we wanted to build a game we knew that we had this mess of mechanics 
And that's what, when a board game does something like worker placement or an auction, that is a mechanism or yep. a mechanic in the game. Yep. We had all this collection of mechanisms and we needed a theme. And the theme that we chose was based on a pun, as all good things should be. <laughs> and so our original idea was a game that was called The Alpacalypse. And immediately when you told me that name, I was in. I had no idea what the game was about, but I'm like, I'm listening. Right. And The Alpacalypse is basically, uh, the idea was that human civilization had come to an end. Uh, and the next dominant species on Earth that was rising <laughs> up was the alpaca. Uh, and nature had chosen the lowly, humble alpaca uh, to be the next dominant species. Who knew? Right. And you controlled a tribe of alpaca. Okay. Uh, you were the leader of this tribe, and you had to make sure and deploy the workers in your tribe best in order to gain the most prestige and be the most influential alpaca, alpacan. That's a word. Just let Alpacan, it go. Yeah. <laughs> Alpacan tribe in the new golden age, um, uh, the new epoch or alpac of of alpaca, right? Mm -hmm. So that that's what's going on, and so it's the alpacalypse, um, <laughs> and that was it was great. Uh, and so there's so many jokes and so many puns and so much wordplay in the game, and it was a blast. Um, the problem was after all of the development and all of the work on the actual game itself. Our game is a big game and it's a long game. Yeah. Okay. So it's there in gaming, there are several different types of games. Uh, one of them might be party games. A lot of people quick play, and easy. Yeah. Yeah. They're quick and easy. They play with a whole bunch of people. They're usually not very difficult. I don't know if you've ever played uh, One Night Werewolf or um, something like Mafia or something like yes. that at a party where yeah. you can play with like a room of 20 people and there's social deduction going on um, and things like that. Yep. There are other games that are kind of your traditional family games. Yep. Family games are made to be played with kids and adults mixed yep. um, around a family table. So, for instance, you might say Monopoly is kind of a classic American family game. Life is a classic American family game. Those don't have a lot of complexity. Um, and kids can pick them up. And so you don't have you don't have to worry about it. Now, a lot of times family games also include an element of luck a strong element of luck whether it's the dice roll and right. you can get beat by rolling the dice poorly and dice is not something you're going to ever get better at doing you can't practice rolling dice and getting better so you wanted that out you wanted this to be a skill game yes and that's that the next level of game as far as there's there's party games there's family games and then there's hobby games okay and hobby games um focus more on strategy yep and less on luck Yep. Now, there are still a lot of luck-based hobby games, but uh, when you talk about hobby games, you're talking about getting out of your run-of-the-mill, I-can-buy-this-at-Walmart kind of game. Yeah. Target has started carrying hobby games, okay. um, and Barnes and & Noble carries hobby games, but they're usually a little bigger, a little more complex. There's a little more to it than roll the dice, move your piece. So let me ask, uh, as an example, and this is one I think a lot of people who are familiar with gaming will be familiar with, is the Settlers of Catan. Does that fall under the category of hobby game? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, so Settlers of Catan is one of the big, and we use this term, and a lot of people don't like it, but oh, well, it is what it is. <laughs> Language is a living thing, right? We call them gateway games. Now, obviously, the bad metaphor there is that it sounds like it has to do with drugs. Uh, and <laughs> games are not like drugs. Like, kids don't do drugs. Kids 
play more play games. Play more games, absolutely. Uh, and so, so there's 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 a little dichotomy. We call those gateway games. Uh, Catan, Splendor is another one. Ticket to Ride, okay. uh, the train game, as people affectionately call it, is another one that a lot of people have in their home, where you're doing something differently than you ever did in Monopoly or Trouble or Life or anything like that. But it's it's still accessible, but it's it's a little different. It's a little off the beaten path as far as this game. Well, the further you get into hobby gaming the more complex the bigger games can get. The game that we made, Alpacalypse, is a much bigger game. Okay. As in 30 minutes a player. So if you're playing with three players, it's going to be closer to 75, 90 minutes. Okay. Um, in order to play this game. Whereas most people consider uh, Monopoly's time to be a real detraction from the game, although most people consider Monopoly to not be very fun. Um, <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things working against Monopoly. It's a zero-sum game. In order for me to win, you have to completely lose. Uh, it's not like we're going to play it for 12 rounds and then decide who has the most money wins. Someone's going to feel good about themselves. No, right. like Instead, you're going to go bankrupt and die. Right. I, have yeah. to, I have to put you into grinding poverty <laughs> in order for me to win. And then, uh, by the way, that's going to take us an hour to do, uh-huh. and you're going to be losing for 50 minutes of it. So have a great time and keep a good attitude. At least you get an old man with a top hat, so Ex- you're fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Monopoly is not a great design in terms of that. But um, what we have in hobby games, uh, and in particular in the Alpacalypse, was a game that was about 90 minutes long. Um, and it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of interaction that's positive, and players uh, really can use their strategy really well. Mm-hmm, there's not mm-hmm. a lot of tactics to it. There's not a lot of luck in the game. But it's complex enough that you're not going to pull up with your eight-year-old and say, let's play Alpacalypse. Problem was... That title, Alpacalypse, when we ran it through development when and we got all our game ready, then we sent it uh, we sent the the prep work to distributors to say, do you think you can sell this game to retailers? Yeah, right because that's part of the machinery of of the of the board game industry right, right. like this is where you stop talking about a game and you start talking about a product. Yes. We made the game. now they've got to make it a product to sell. okay. So my job as a designer is to create a game. Their job as a publisher, Pandasaurus, is to make the best product out of that game yep so that we all make a lot of money. Right. So it sounds like the product didn't sell. Um, the product, it wasn't that we were selling it yet. We were just asking, would this sell and not- to retailers? And retailers said, basically, we love the name Alpacalypse. We love the theme idea. Yeah. The problem is it doesn't match this 90-minute, midweight, chunky game. Yeah, it feels like uh, Happy Go Lucky. Like, oh, alpaca- right. like I'm gonna watch The Emperor's New Groove with my kids, and then we're gonna bust out Alpacalypse. A hundred percent. That's what they said. They said people who want a game about alpacas taking over the world want a game that takes thirty minutes. Yeah. And people who want a ninety minute Euro, and that's the kind of game this is, a ninety minute game with chunky strategic decisions, don't want a game about alpacas taking over the world. They don't want a cartoon, world. absolutely. And so it, it was a mismatch in terms of name and theme and the actual game itself. Uh, so the game. So what we did was we rethemed the game. Okay. Um, and we rethemed it into Godspeed. And this was uh, Pandasaurus is run by a husband and wife, Nathan and Molly. Yep. Um, and Nathan came up with this idea. He said, what do you think about Godspeed? Here's what we're going to do with it. We want to look at, and, and it's, this is what's I love. This is the oxymoron here, right? Of retro futurism, um, <clears throat> which is sort of like jumbo shrimp. Yeah, uh, right, you right. know. Uh, so, so it kind of goes a little sideways. But it, here's the deal: we wanted it to be the space race, right? We liked that theme of the space race era. So you're talking 60s, 70s, okay? Uh, space race. Yeah. But we've put it in an alternate universe where it's not just a two 
country race. Okay, you've added US, a USSR. Yep. There are other countries involved, other nations and agencies involved. And instead of, you know, it's not that the moon landing wasn't real. Okay, it happened. You're not going there. Okay. Right. The yeah. moon landing happened, but it was the cover story to hide a much bigger thing that we found, which was a wormhole to a whole other planet that was habitable like Earth was. Okay. And so uh, this planet, Minos, is, is out there, and these wormhole gates have appeared in a lot of nations across the world. And we thought, as Americans, we were going to be the first people up there to this new planet to try and build some kind of infrastructure and some kind of civilization to make sure that we have an influence and a future on the planet of Minos. And so we went through the, we went through the wormhole, but when we got there, we found out we weren't the first people and that other agencies had gotten there before us and other nations were already building. So we were a few steps behind. And so the game itself is you control one of these agencies and you have a very limited number of people who are then trying to build their, your, your culture, your, your, uh, infrastructure, your, um, agencies, machinery in order to make sure that you have a say in the future of the planet of Minos. And ultimately you might be the most influential group there. And so okay. that's how it works. Uh, that's the storyline behind Godspeed. Um, and so we're really psyched because it's it's it got it's got such great science fiction elements. Okay. Um, the artist did such a good job with the game. Another thing that separates hobby games from party games is the amount of art that they have. Yeah. Like board game art is a real thing. Um, and our artist actually, this is his second ever board game because he's an artist who works in a lot of mediums. Okay. And he normally does like. Um, you know, big display art. Okay. Um, and he has, you know, open gallery and that kind of stuff. His name is Jesse Riggle. Jesse did the art for our game and it is stunning. Nice. Um, and so our the box is very eye-catching because you have this Soviet cosmonaut and he is just, you can see that he's looking down on this new planet and you can see kind of the, the planet reflecting in his visor and he's just terrified. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's very gripping to see it and you know that this game is about something really odd in space. And so the box does exactly what it's supposed to do. It gets people to look. Okay. Um, and so Jesse Jesse did the art for the game, and it's gorgeous. And the palette color, the palette is not what you would expect. Okay. Um, I know I'm kind of nerding out about art no, and creativity. No, you're nerding out big time. This is what I do. This is for. This is what this is for. Um, and so the palette is not what you'd expect. A lot of times science fiction games are really black and gray and and lots of metal and it's dark and there's shadows. And ours is, you know, it has this these really beautiful, almost soft greens and reds and pinks and, you know, and purples and, and oranges. And it's such a beautiful game when you see it on the table. It's really got a striking what we call table presence. Okay. Oh. Um, that when you walk by the table, you say, I want to play that game, even if you have no idea what it's about. Okay. I have an idea. This is uh, just a one-off idea. I would like uh, for Jesse to make me a T-shirt with uh, like a map. You know how you, like, you see the globe, mm -hmm. like a map of the globe? And, and you know what that looks like? I want Minos. I, I want that on a shirt. I want like the, the planet of Minos on a shirt that I can wear around. And people can go, what's going on there? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Let's get, let's get the it. merch going. Right. And and so you can, you know, and, and on the back, we can put the little tagline for the game. The space race was a lie. Um, and so, you know, there, there's your tagline and you can wear the Minos shirt and people will be like, what's going on with that guy? Yeah. And then and I'd have to say, it's a game I really can't explain, but I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy who could. I'll tell you what. Here's the link to the podcast. 
and there you and there you go. Um, what has surprised you about the process? So now that the game is a real thing, yeah, and it's been on Kickstarter for you said there's four days left, so it's been on for 24 days. Been there about a month, almost. about a month. What surprised you about the process? Man, everything is new. Um, it's so there's a lot of work that goes into making a board game. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, we're a small part of it. Now, obviously, designers are very important. Clayton and I designed the game, and it took us about a year to design the game from front to back. Uh, it took us about a year. And so it is – that's a lot of work. Yeah. To get it to work and to be fun. Yeah. And to streamline it and smooth it out. But then once it gets signed, there's a ton of work that goes into it from you know, our graphic designer, Steve O'Torres, just – I mean, he had to design so many cards and so many, <laughs> right? Because like, you don't think about the border on a playing card very much, or the back of a card very much, right? Or the font that you use in the game, the typeface that's that's there. Somebody thinks um, about it, and that's that's his job. And he's got like more than uh, 260 assets in this game that he has to put font on and design oh on, and he's and he's got to make sure that it matches the art style that Jesse has done with all these pieces, um, and and so. It, it's such a huge process. And then you've got the whole marketing side of it. Then you've got the whole development side of it. you got someone who's in charge um, of the whole, like, setting the schedule for when production is going to happen and overseeing the management of all of the distributors and all of that. And wow. there's a whole team, Nathan and Molly and Cole and Brian and um, th just so many people working so hard to produce this game. And, you know, then you have... Uh, the manufacturing timeline and the way delays can happen yeah. and shipping <laughs> and then distribution side. It's and you're so sweating much. all of it. You're oh, sweating all of it. It's amazing. And and so much of it is beyond our control. And we're like, we made this game, you know, and can, so can we have our game, please? As a designer, yeah. we're a small part of the whole machinery. Yeah. We may be an essential part, but it's it's not the major part of what had to happen. There's a lot that goes into making a game. Um, and you know, you kind of it's amazing to have watched the Kickstarter go so well. Yeah. Um, we, you know, Kickstarter is crowdfunding. And so what people do is they will promise you money up front. They pay money up front and you give them a product in return later. Yep. So our game will deliver to the people who have backed it in April of 2020. Oh, so it's six months out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because once it's finished, we, uh, and all the, all the artwork and everything's done. Um, everything is completed. Uh, almost. We're like 99% done with the artwork because a couple of things that Kickstarter has a stretch goals and a couple of those have added some more art to the game. Okay. So Jesse's working on that right now. Steve-O's doing his thing. So when all of that's finished, we'll send our files to uh, Panda Manufacturing, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I believe is who we're using, um, in China and uh, among others. And they may, they may manufacture the boxes. They may manufacture um, all of that. And um, they're an American company operating Yep, yep. With a factory in China. And they will manufacture the game. Okay. And then after manufacturing the game, they then have to load it onto boats. It ships, and it will come across the ocean, land here in uh, in the States, as well as other ports if they're going to different parts of the world. Yep, yep, yep. And then, those, then the distributor takes over and has to do their thing. Um, all of that process just takes time. Yeah. Um, and uh, as 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 people have backed it, um, you know, it's going to more and more folks, and that means more and more logistics pile yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, when we started, what they needed to get 
in order to make our game. Kickstarter comes out. You, you, you launch your Kickstarter and you say, this is the bare minimum we have to make in order to launch the game. Okay. Uh, in order to publish this. And that was $30,000. Okay. So you cleared that by quite some margin. We've cleared that by about six times that at yes. this point. We're, we're at about $180,000 um, of sales right now. So that's great. We've moved over 2,000 units. That's awesome. 2,400 right. last I saw. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's how many backers we have, which is great. And we're just blown away by that. Yep. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, that whole process of getting that kind of buzz and getting that kind of energy and people saying we believe in this project is one of the coolest things you can experience yeah. for something you've made, right? Yeah. I mean, for the creative process, it's final validation. Right. Because you and trudged I, for how yeah. long? A year and a half. Yeah, just, I was just like, is this ever going to be a thing? I felt like, honestly, I was telling people about like my made-up girlfriend. <laughs> she goes to another school, right? She goes to another school. Show me a picture. Well, I don't really have one, <laughs> you know. But we hang out all the time, and right. like we're like she's really pretty. I swear, I swear, she's real, you yeah. know. And then, um, you know, not only when people see the Kickstarter, they're like, "Whoa!" Like that's actually your game, right? That's my girlfriend. <laughs> that's who I've been spending time with. I now you see you. her picture. She's yeah. really great. Yeah. And then you've got uh, April still to come. Yeah. When I'm going to get to watch people open, open the, the box. Time. Yeah. Here's here's this game. Take the shrink wrap off of it. Open the game, and then see all the pieces. And then they play it. And in that first weekend, like a thousand people are going to be putting our game on the table, and we get to watch them say, "We don't like this." No, I'm just playing. Um, we get to watch them say either this was awesome or I would change this or I loved this or oh, it's so good or oh, it's so not good. Yeah. And all the reviews come in. And I'm kind of terrified about that, to be honest. But yeah. I found in the process, Clayton, out of the two of us, he tends to think more about that perception piece and that opinion piece, whereas I'm like, eh, it's not for everyone, and move on. <laughs> uh, I thought that would be reversed. We both kind of thought that'd be reversed. It turns yeah. out, apparently, I can be really cold. Don't care uh, about what anybody yeah, thinks. I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, oh, well. make your own game. Uh, you know, and so <laughs> you I do it, yeah. Right, I try not to be a jerk, but uh, I tend to not sweat that as much. But it's been a great process, um, and I love creativity. Uh, I love expressing creativity. Before I was making games, I was making music. I know that super producer Danny still makes music. Um, yes, sir. And and so, uh, you know, I was making music. And whether it was playing guitar or writing songs or singing or whatever, it was a creative outlet. And I got to do that. And that was fun. And this game design thing has sort of scratched some of that itch. Okay. That I've not been able to play and record and make music uh, very regularly for a while. Yeah. And this sort of has taken that place. And it's very similar in that same kind of feel. Yeah, it's like your bait. I mean, obviously, you can't compare having a, a child to creating something. No, no, you can't. No, you can't. However, there is some, there is some similarities. Like, in that, like, like, however, we're gonna do that. We're gonna go ahead and do that. <laughs> I mean, whether it's you know starting a podcast or a coffee shop or your anything you're building from scratch. Yes, and then you're presenting to people to be a part of. It's like, hey, I met you know that I yeah. It's it's hard to put words around it yeah and to see people love the thing you made is really thrilling it's it's exhilarating it's humbling um because you know you had this idea and the idea became something tangible and then people 
attached to that and said, yes, this is an expression or an experience that I agree with and want to have. And you throw in, too, so I'll throw the other aspect, which is you've explained how many people are in the process. So sure, you're in the creative process, but you it's like you're now, you may have started it, but you're part of a thing bigger than yourself. Because like while you had the idea, you had no idea what the what the art was going to look like. Not at all. You had no idea what the cards or the graphic design or how it would be presented. Like when you first saw the trailer, did you get goosebumps seeing the trailer for the game? Good night. I sure did. It was so good. Um, and that was all Nathan and Molly. Yeah. I mean, that's their thing. They, they, they put, they hired the group that put that video together as a friend of theirs who, who does work like this. And it was a really bold choice because not a lot of games have cinematic trailers featuring like live actors and lines and things like that. But there was so much to it that was just incredible. And if you, if you want to see, if you, if you just go to the Kickstarter, just, just watch the video. It's so cool. And it gives you this immediate goosebump kind of reaction that you, when you see that, you're like, holy smokes, I don't just want to play that game. I want to watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I wish this were a story I could read or a video I could watch or something like that because there's, there's, there's so much richness. And we do have a story that's being written that kind of explains sort of this stuff and what's going on in the, and if you go to the Kickstarter, if you look in the update section, um, our author, uh, her name is Banana Chan. Okay. And Banana Chan is writing the lore for this game, and it's so cool. The story that she's putting behind it, and I'm like, I want to see this story on Netflix. Like, where is this thing? Because I want want to watch this story. This is a great story. Yeah. And it explains some of the alternate timeline and how we have, for instance, a European Union in the 60s and 70s that doesn't include France. Okay. Um, Or the USSR. Uh, and and you're like, what in the world's going on in this game? It is a different world. It's a different it, it, world. But so we 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 love the different nuances, but all of that's explained in the story that uh, Banana Chan has written, and it's great. That's so awesome. th- it's just a cool creative process, and to get a lot of people involved in that is super fun. And to see so many people give of their own money to say, I want to be a part of this. Like I want to know that story. Yeah. I want to play that game. It's so humbling and it's so awesome. That's so great. rewarding. All right. Well, here's the deal. We got four days left and we're going to post this thing out uh, and we're going to make sure that people see the link. We're at 2,400. It'd be cool to get you over 3,000 by the end of the week. I don't know if it's possible. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm from your lips to God's ears. Let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. Um, so when we do that, is there anything else you want the people to know or look for when they're looking this thing up? Well, I mean, when they're looking it up, it's Godspeed, um, and they can look it up. And if you want to back it, you can. Um, and there's several different backing levels. Uh, the first one, and this is a little bit different, the first level is kind of a deluxe level. And I know that sounds like, why is the, why, why is the first level deluxe? Shouldn't it be the standard level? Well, the retail version of the game that's going to come out in late April, Yeah, that's the standard version. And on Kickstarter, when you buy a game, very often you get a better a version of the game. Yep. And that's why it's called Deluxe. And so your, for instance, the game is going to come with metal coins. Oh. Um, not just cardboard coins. Wow. Uh, and so when you buy on Kickstarter, you're getting that upgraded version of the game. There's also add-ons you can do to where if you want to trade all the cardboard pieces for nice uh, plastic four heat transfer. Yeah. Um, three millimeter bits. Uh, and they are amazing. 
um, you can you can do that. It's going to cost more, but there's different tiers that you can back at. Okay, and so you'll want to read through what you get uh, in each tier when you're making that decision. Um, but I guess the thing that I would say is um, our main goal is that people get together and they share an experience together over a table. We started creating games. Um, the reason I make games is because I believe um, in table fellowship. Yeah. Okay. That I believe there's something that happens when people get together face to face, not over their phones and not over their computers, but face to face relationships. See, this is what board games mean more to me than video games. Yeah. Because a video game is me by myself looking at a screen, whereas a board game is me and two, three, four friends or or strangers. Um, and we get together, we sit around the table, and we start actually talking yeah. and interacting. And you can build relationships and friendships, and you, you're real with people. And so I can't tell you how many games have gone from a we're playing this game to I'm finding out about your wife and your kids, and I'm praying for your kid who's sick. And I'm able to open up to you and say, here's something that's stressing me out. And I, hey, can I get some advice? Just so many different real-life things where all of a sudden I learn something about the people that I'm with. That that experience of relationship, that's why we do this. Okay, That's what drives us to make games. And why I love board games, because it pulls people into those meaningful relationship interactions. Yeah, And the game is just a foil for actually equipping people to like love life. Yeah. And experience joy and share their, you know, share their concerns with each other. That that relationship building, that's what this is about for myself, for Clayton, uh, that we believe in the power of um human interaction. Yeah. And relationship. And we think that board games are a really fun and unique way to do that. And so we've put everything we have into hoping that you and the people around you have a great experience. There are also videos that teach you how to play. Rules are always a challenge. So if you're like, I want to have that experience, but I don't know how to play this game because the last game I played was Sorry, and it was super easy. It just wasn't fun. Um, <clears throat> sorry is the game we use to teach our kids that bad things happen in life sometimes. Yep. Uh, so get over it. Uh, and and <laughs> I don't know how that sells. Uh, nevertheless, uh, this game is more complex, but uh, first off, there's videos that can teach you how to play. There's a rule book that you can read. Um, and if you pay me enough, I'll come and teach you how to play the game personally. Uh, we should do like a raffle or something $10? where folks can buy in and like they can... Or they can bid for your services. They can bid to like have... Yeah, and they can play the game with me and Clayton or something. I don't know. We'll figure something out. But What if they beat you? Did they, did they get the ownership I have lost in my game before and I will lose in my game again. That is fine. Okay. All right. Well, I think you put it best, and so I think that's a good place to end off. I hope everyone checks this out, and I hope they all believe, like you and Clayton believe, in the power of human interaction and not just of screens. I hope that they listen to this podcast on their screened phone and mm -hmm. then take the earbuds out and then find a game uh, with another human and uh, build those relationships. Adam, thanks for your creativity and sharing it with the world. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another show. Uh, check out Godspeed. We'll have the link underneath where we're posting this. Uh, and until then, uh, Godspeed. Godspeed. Godspeed.